The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestions and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen Grand is the Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grand Dr. Grand Dr. Doreen Grand Dr. Doreen Grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm sitting here with the fabulous and wonderful Dr. Doreen Grand Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning, Shannon. Good so, morning, everyone. So thrilled to have you back in-house. Last yeah. week we had you on uh, and it was almost the middle of the night in Saudi Arabia right. where you were from your right. hotel room. That was an adventure for us. I'm sure it was, it was much more of an adventure for you. It was no, it was it was lovely, and but like since then, it feels like it's been you know a century since then. I hear that it's been a it's been a long week this year. This oh. year, this week is what I'm trying. This year, this week's been a year. Unbelievable, right? right? Yes. Well, I mean, first of all, the flight back is so long, right? It's yeah. like thirty hours. Yeah. So that's exhausting. But then I got back, and then we had this unbelievable storm in California, yeah. which. We've never had, right, something like that. And it's yes. freezing temperatures to begin with. And then, as I just was mentioning, uh, power outages. And I've not had electricity at my house for four days, which, which is lots of fun. We were saying yesterday how there are people in Studio City who haven't had uh, yeah. power for four days. I didn't realize that you had Also, not. yeah, all over. I feel so terrible. They, the DWP, Department of Water and Power, said this is for them like having had a major earthquake. Yeah. It's like, well, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's been nuts. And I, you know, I was saying yesterday that uh, I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there living in a lot of places where you're digging out of snow and you're like, oh, you L.A. People. Yes, yes, that's true. It's 54 that's degrees true. and what's going on. But for us, it is. It's difficult when you're like we're not inside. Right. And inside your house, the temperature is 50 degrees. Oh. It's cold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yes. I was I was kvetching about it last night. Uh, we're saying good morning to Philip and Dark Angel and Taryn and Anna. Good morning, everybody. Uh, for those of you who are joining us maybe for the first time, this is Dr. Doreen Grampichet that I'm sitting with, and she is a true expert in the field of autism, having worked in this field for 45 years. Yes, That's you amazing. said it. Amazing, <laughs> 45 years. Yeah, uh, and we've been doing this show for 12 years, which is crazy to also I know, I think love of. It. I love but, it. But um, I love it too. And I love all the things that I learn here. Somebody was saying to me last week, they're like, how 
how do you how have you learned so much? And I was like, are you kidding me? I get to sit at the feet of the world's expert no, on a no, regular no, basis no, no. and ask her questions. I better be learning something. No, no. Uh, absolutely amazing. And she, she has been working in this field, as I said, for 45 years with all kinds of individuals and the people who love them that are on the spectrum. So from very young babies, really, up to oh, yeah. senior citizens, mm -hmm. and you know, because this is not a one-size-fits-all community. We love that you look at individuals as individuals, which seems like such a duh, but you are at the forefront of screaming to the autism community, especially professionals, about how important it is to look at people as individuals and look at their ecosystem that is their Absolutely. whole system. Um, and not just look at them as a label. De definitely, 100%. Well, we all appreciate that. Well, thank you. Because we are the beneficiaries <laughs> of that, uh, which is remarkable. But you also have been somebody, you are probably, I'm not going to say probably, you're definitely the person that I look to in my life who is the best at perspective taking. Oh, you're so um, kind. Thank you. No, it's I true. Try. And you, you always try to take the perspective of the individual, but also the people around them that love them or that are trying to support them. You acknowledge how difficult it is sometimes for the loved ones and the parents. Right. Um, so thank you. Thank Th you for that. Thank you very much. And she donates this hour for all of you to answer your questions in real time, which is a real opportunity. And we hope that you'll start right now. We're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and about a dozen other sites that Traven is going to start showing you in a minute. We hope that you will write into the live show and ask the questions that you want. Be as specific as, as you can be. Uh, and Dr. Grampiche will probably have some questions back for you. Uh, we do want to give the disclaimer that there is no expert in this field or any other field who can give individual specific advice in this format. That would be right. a disservice to that individual and to the expert, really, if you think about it. So be as specific as you can. Know that Dr. Grampiche is going to give you some general knowledge about whatever the topic is. And then that will help you to go back to the experts who have eyes on the situation and get more done, we think, in a quicker way. And you guys have written to us over the years and said that actually it's very, very helpful. Right. Uh, so we appreciate you guys doing that. Uh, I do want to say, too, that we never have enough time to answer all of the questions. So ask your questions as early in the hour as possible. We'll get to as many of them as we can. But we have an event coming up in April that we're oh, yeah. super excited about where you're going to get more time. To, we're going we're gonna to get to take off our shoes and spread out our legs and, and sit here with you guys for a while because we are going to be doing the first ever Autism Network Podcast-a-thon. Now, that's a mouthful, uh, but I think of this as the information and inspiration extravaganza, which is even more of a mouthful. We are going to go live on April 4th uh, at 3 p.m. Pacific time, and I'm reminding everybody that we will have turned the clocks back by then. So if you're watching in other countries, we will be uh, an hour earlier right. than we currently are, right? Uh, they, our, our friends in Africa pointed that out to me because on March 12th, we're turning the clocks back. Well, we're turning the clocks forward, right? Well, it's it spring forward, fall back. Okay, so spring, so we're, so we're going hour, forward. Hour later. Right. Thank you. Right. I, <laughs> I need an advocate <laughs> to do the math. But anyway, uh, it will be the daylights, whatever. I don't know whether we're going into daylight saving. I'm always confused by that. I know. I but, wish it would stop. Right. I know. Yeah. Enough. It's confusing. 
And the rest of the world doesn't do it, which I didn't know that. I just thought right. we all did. I thought it was an agreement. Apparently not. Nope. <laughs> Even some states don't do it. Arizona like, just goes, that's tomfoolery. I'm not exactly. participating in that. <laughs> exactly. Arizona, like, but then it messes the rest of us up. I'm like, what time zone is Arizona exactly. in Hawaii, this Hawaii, too. I think Hawaii really? doesn't change either. I didn't yeah. know that either. All right. I've, I revealed my IQ. No. <laughs> Already in this hour. For all things geography. Not. It's zero. Okay, so anyway, but we're going to go live at, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and we are going to attempt to stay live nonstop for 44 hours. Yes, I said 44 hours, not 44 minutes, 44 hours. That means we're going to go oh around the clock almost twice. And everybody says, why 44? Because currently the CDC numbers are 1 in 44 here in the United States. Now, we do expect that those numbers are going to change before that, but <sighs> we have to have a plan. So we're going with a plan for 44 hours. And you're going to get a lot of extra Ask Dr. Doreen. You are going to get the opportunity to see Dr. Doreen interview some of the people that That's she right. has enjoyed a professional relationship for these 45 years. Right. Um, you're going to get an opportunity to see some really special guests on Autism Live. We already have Dr. Temple Grandin, who is oh, agreed to be with us. That's awesome. And last night, Joe Montaigne agreed to be wonderful, with us. So wonderful, wonderful. amazing. I'm very, I like the grin on my face because he's a mensch. Oh, I just have he is. so much admiration he for is. him. He is. As an actor and as a dad and uh, as a husband and as just a man. He's a very mensch. giving person. Yeah, yes. Absolutely. Uh, and so he's, uh, was like, answered me almost immediately and was like, yes, I'm in. Amazing. Uh, isn't that? That's amazing. It makes it's me awesome. well up. Uh, it humbles me. But anyway, and so many other, we've got all these amazing podcasts that are going to be with us. We have the Autism Helper who has agreed to be with us. Uh, we have the podcast, A 25-Year Look at Autism is going to be with us. They're amazing. It's a BCBA and a mom together. Great, great. That they're going to be with us. The Just Two Dads are going to be with us. Wonderful. Uh, the Autism Dadvocate is going to be with us. So many more podcasts that I'm not thinking of right now. Lisa Ackerman, is she coming? We believe Taka is going to be a part of it. We hope that Lisa is going to be really busy then, so I don't know that it will actually be her, but um, Taka will, will be participating great, in great. some way, shape, or form, as will the Ed Asner Family Center and some. I, you know, I, I can't even list all of the things. That's amazing. That we're be it's doing. all coming together. It is all coming together. We do want to say that we've got some amazing sponsorship opportunities. That there is the yes. ability to sponsor um, an hour, mm. um, and depending on the hour, you know, different perks that you can get. Uh, so if you're interested in that, there is a place now on our website. If you go to autismnetwork.com, there is a tab that says Podcastathon. And um, you can go there and you can find out a little bit more about the sponsorship opportunities. And I think it's later today that a calendar will go live that will show you what we've got scheduled so far. Oh, and awesome. what it is so you can start to plan when you're going to sleep which is what I'm doing. Sure. And it's terrible because I look at it and I go, oh, you're not going to get a lot of sleep during no, that time. No, because you know why? Because I want to hear everything that everybody's I saying. I know, I know. So I'm going to have, you're going to have to like, you know, whack me in the head. Yeah, you're going to have to me. shut down. Yeah. Yes, which is terrible because yeah. I'm like, well, I don't want to sleep during that hour. No, you have to, Shannon. I know. Yeah. It's like the baby. When the baby sleeps, you have to sleep. And when I'm not in the chair, it's I a have to sleep. But... Yeah. I want to watch it all. Oh, you know what? Who else we have that's already committed to come is the fabulous Kobe Bird. Oh, uh, awesome! Uh, 
an actor on the spectrum who you guys know him from Lock and Key. He's going to do a whole hour for us. And we've got several other um, people that are self-advocates that are going to be hosting hours for us. Amazing. We're really excited. we got everybody that we're going to representing. So um, here we go. Oh, all these questions that people wrote in. But our topic today, our overreaching topic today, which we start with, and then we'll answer questions as we go, but we're talking about anxiety today. Mm, a which, big one. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, certainly I want to raise my hand and go, yes, please, uh, I need to talk about the anxiety thing. Uh, but our starter question today is my nine-year-old has debilitating anxiety. <clears throat> yeah. And it's, it's tearing our family apart. They don't ever want to leave the house. Everything is a battle, and I can see that they are genuinely terrified. Is there any hope? Mm. Yeah, that's so difficult. And I, first of all, let me just congratulate this parent for actually recognizing that there's anxiety. Yes. Right? I mean, a lot of times people don't even recognize that what the individual is going through is anxiety, Especially right? Especially in a nine-year-old. I think people Especially just discount it and go, you know, no, we're going to go and get over it. Yes, yes. That's very true. On ch with children in particular, we tend to kind of just ignore it more. And also, when there's another diagnosis, like autism, which tends to overshadow everything, yeah. right? And yeah. so people become very focused on the autism and tend to blame everything that's going on on the autism, which yeah. isn't, a lot of times, is not the case. And that's the thing about autism that I find interesting, is that if you break down kind of, you know, I always used to tell parents, don't focus on the label, just focus on the child and or the individual and just divide up like what are the issues and try to deal with each of the issues. And often one of the issues is anxiety with people on the spectrum. And that completely, first of all, makes sense to me if you think about it, because we're talking about, you know, if you, Shannon, you always say like perspective taking, like for a moment, if we put ourselves in the shoes of someone who experiences some of the symptoms of autism, you will develop anxiety. Uh, first of all, a lot of people on the spectrum will have issues with sensory input, right? So lights might be too harsh for them or sounds might be very jarring or, I mean, we startle with certain sounds. So think about if you were hypersensitive to various uh, tones of sounds, how much you'd be on edge, right? Yeah. Same thing with uh, continued lights, right? Like lights that are too harsh for you. That type of thing will just physiologically, not just mentally, but physiologically keep you in an anxious or, you know, kind of on edge type of feeling. And that's the state that you'll be in. And then, of course, if you think about also uh, our sensory issues that, like, for instance, a lot of our, a lot of folks that we work with have issues with uh, visual input. So they have a hard time uh, determining, uh, uh, like, for instance, how is this person feeling towards me? Are they happy towards me? Are they angry? Should I be um, suspicious of them? Can I trust them? Like, we don't realize how much we depend on our own ability to uh, read people, right? And that is something that's very difficult for folks on the spectrum. Um, and so that in itself also adds to the anxiety or even just seeing stimuli, you know, like r recognizing stimuli. This is 
One of the biggest challenges I have right now with a little guy that I'm uh, supervising is just getting him to be able to focus on the appropriate stimuli. Um, and he definitely has problems with that, and that is what is affecting his learning or his ability to thrive in society. So there's a lot of reasons why someone on the spectrum would experience anxiety. Now the question is, what do we do about it, right? Yeah. And there, so first I'm going to talk about kind of like just for individuals on the spectrum, and then a little bit of um, just giving you advice in regards to there are lots of techniques that cognitive behavioral therapists, so psychologists who are trained in CBT or cognitive behavior therapy, they have a lot of really good techniques. I'm not going to go into them because that would be the rest of this hour today. Yeah. But if you guys are interested in looking at some of those cognitive behavioral techniques, I actually did a series on anxiety on my TikTok. Yes. And so every episode, every like little recording is about a different technique. And there's like 10 of them that I go through on that channel on TikTok, Ask Dr. Doreen. So you can go there and maybe some of those ideas will help you. And they're sophisticated ideas that are being used these days in psychology with, you know, uh, psychologists. Now, for individuals who are also on this spectrum, I think it's really important to just break it down, just like I said before. You know, if it's someone who is, who, where their sensory issues are contributing to their anxiety, let's try to help fix that or give the individual a tool that's going to help them overcome that or deal with that, right? Mm -hmm. So, for instance, a lot of kids do really well when they have the ability to put on um, noise-canceling headphones right. um, because that shuts out a lot of the kind of jarring or sudden noises mm -hmm. that are bothering them. That's one. You, you should give your child um, tools that they can use. Um, it's funny because I know individuals who are not on the spectrum who also do this, right? There was a whole phase, if you guys remember, I don't know if it's there yet, I think it is, but like teenagers uh, walking around with their hoodies, with their hoods up yeah. and like with headphones. That, why do you think they do that? Yes, it, it, they think it looks cool, but it's also a way to shut out yeah. the, the, what they think is like people looking at them, right? So, and only let in what you choose to let in, to be in control in. of that. Correct, absolutely, because control is a very big part of anxiety or yeah. overcoming anxiety. And also, of course, if you have your child, if your child is able to begin using their headphones as a tool, then they can also use it in a way to help calm themselves or soothe themselves. They can listen to when they see themselves and they feel that they're getting hyped up. They can use, you know, soothing music, calming music. On this flight back from the Middle East, I was... I couldn't sleep and I was exhausted like mm. we were talking past 20 something hours that I hadn't mm. slept and I just all, the only thing that was uh, tolerable to me at that time was meditation music right, right. Yeah. and that's what I mean like uh, there are certain stimulus inputs that can be very calming and can help us through moments that are anxiety provoking so that's one it's like headphones like that or a lot of kids I've seen uh, also used to and I don't know if it's prevalent anymore but it used to wear tinted 
glasses, yep. right? And the tinted glasses are amazing at that. We don't use them enough, I think, honestly, I but they are really amazing for helping reduce stimuli that are coming in. In fact, for people now, I just learned because I'm at that stage where you have difficulty driving in the dark, mm -hmm. you know, they actually give you tinted glasses. Oh, I need those. Yeah, which really help, which is really strange to me, but they yeah. truly help. So, um, the, so just, you know, things that help you reduce the stimulation. Now, of course, with uh, a lot of kids, anxiety becomes very apparent when they're taken to places that are like loud or like parties. Let's say you want to take your child to, a, to an event or a party and it's overwhelming. Any kind of, kind of gradual introduction to that preparation any kind of preparation is always going to be useful. This I learned from a teacher a hundred years ago where basically you, uh, if you can expose your child, just give them information about it, practice it, whatever the situation is. I think I even talk about this on one of the TikTok videos, which is like, what are some highly anxiety provoking situations? Let's say going to the doctor, that's something, or getting a shot or getting blood drawn. All of those things are very anxiety-provoking for all of us. Yeah. And if you can desensitize your child by practicing approximations to that, um, I've talked about that quite a bit because the, you know, the main behavioral technique, purely behavioral, not cognitive behavioral, but very behavioral technique that people use is for anxiety and for phobias as well, is uh, systematic desensitization, which is this process where you essentially gradually expose the individual to the thing that is provoking anxiety. So let's say it's dogs, right? You're, yeah. Someone's afraid of dogs, um, or they have anxiety when they're going to a place where dogs might be. A lot of kids who are, don't want to go out there's a reason for it. Like this individual, you need to find out, it is, is it specific stimuli, like animals, cars, strangers? Is it noises or is it lights or what else is it? Because then you can produce a series of stimuli that are progressively more, uh, I guess, uh, similar to the exact object. So let's say it's dogs. If I'm producing a hierarchy, I would ha first have like the individual sit in front of, let's say, a picture of a dog and see if they can handle that, right? Mm -hmm. Just a flashcard of different dogs. And if they can't and if they start to become anxious, then I would help them pair that, like having the picture together with breathing exercises or thinking of a pleasant place that they could be, or calming music, something that is the opposite uh, of anxiety provoking. And so then the next stimulus might be a video of a dog on TV. Then And the next one, which now introduces also the sound of barking. And then the next stimulus might be like going to a pet store, looking at dogs from behind glass, and so on and so forth until the actual final stimulus is, you know, going up and, and uh, touching a large, scary-looking dog, yeah. right? And all of those stages need to be paired with something that is contrary and, and relaxing. So that's kind of the behavioral way we deal with it. But for me, when you have a child who has anxiety, uh, 
the first thing I do is I try to identify all the different stimuli that are causing the child anxiety. And sometimes with individuals who are like less, less affected by autism and, and much higher level or higher functioning, the anxiety might be something that is too internalized and too deep to deal with. For example, some of our folks who have kind of recovered from the syndrome, right, no longer qualify for a diagnosis, still struggle with anxiety, and a lot of it is social anxiety yeah. because they are uncomfortable still with being in public because they feel they're being judged. They, um, they feel like, you know, people, I just learned this recently from one of my uh, previous patients who's recovered that a lot of the stuff that goes on in ABA where you are learning to do something, you know, what is right and what is wrong, do this, don't do this, mm -hmm. can over time lead to feeling like, uh, be, you know, scared of making a decision or I don't want to be wrong, I don't want to do the wrong thing. And those types of things are also increase in anxiety. So yeah. for me, I am a big supporter of getting everything to help the child and yeah. behavioral treatments, cognitive behavioral treatments, but also very, very important medication. Yeah. And we're very, very lucky that we have excellent and lots of different medications that help with anxiety. These are called antidepressants because depression and anxiety both are controlled by the same neurotransmitters. And so the medication happens to be the same exact medication. Uh, some are a little bit m better at dealing with anxiety than depression and so on, but it's always the same stuff. And they're usually called serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or serotonin uh, norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. So SSRIs you might have heard or SNRIs. And these are uh, really, really effective. And they don't change the personality of the individual. They really, truly don't. They just take kind of the edge off and they um, allow the individual to just feel more comfortable, I would say, in their own skin and in uh, social situations and in situations where they would normally be falling apart from the anxiety. So. Uh, the summary of all that is, you know, medication does help and the, all, all the literature shows that a combination of medication and cognitive behavior therapy or behavior therapy is the most effective. Okay. And that's what I would do. Wonderful. We, of course, have, uh, it's hilarious, we have a lot of people speculating on what your age is, because if you've been working at anything for 45 <laughs> years, that's suspect, right? Uh, and uh, and somebody who lovingly said that they think that you probably are 45, that's and then... very nice right? of you. And then uh, someone else corrected them and said, no, she's been working in this field yes, for 45 years. You. So there we go. I'm just going to say that you guys probably, because I say it all the time now, you know how old I am, I'm older than Dr. Grampichet. So barely. <laughs> well, you don't have to give that away, but I'm older than Dr. Grampichet, so I know. But here's the truth. She started working in this field as a baby, as a baby. So um, but effectively at the highest level working in this field with one of the most famous people in the yeah. field with Lobos. Yeah. Yep. So there's that. OK. Um, 
Anna, I love your comment. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we talked uh, about a lot of different stuff yesterday, and I, I love that that was helpful to you. Dark Angel says, my son is coming back slowly. He is requesting a uh, few things he needs. I'm wondering if his brain will ever be the same as his biological age. Mm -hmm. He turned five on February 21st. So first of all, we have to say happy birthday. Uh, and five is a big birthday. That's a really exciting time it is. in a child's it is. life. It is. Uh, but as for the fear about will my child ever be, will their brain be functioning at their biological age? What are, I yeah. have some thoughts about that, but they're very different, I'm sure, than your thoughts about that. Well, tell us your thoughts. Well, my thought about that is that at five, I would tell you to start worrying about that less and worrying about what it is specifically that you want your child to learn right now. Because I, I always say that, you know, when you stand at the base of the mountain and you go, okay, I want to get to the top, right? That's where I want to get. That's where everybody wants to get. I want to get to the top of the mountain. Yep. But once you start hiking on the mountain, you can no longer see the top. Right. Because all you true. can see is the path in front of you. And the only way up yep. a mountain is not straight up. You have to walk around the mountain, and there are going to be times when the peak will reveal itself, but most of the time that you're walking, sounds like I've walked up many mountains. I have not. But I've walked up a few in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and I was amazed by the fact that you cannot see the top while you are truly on the path. It's, no, it's such a great uh, example. And that's well. how it felt like for me that I had to know where I wanted us to get. So cozy up to the where you'd like to get is mm -hmm. that is biological age and his brain are on the same thing. Great. That's a great thing to shoot for. Now focus on the path yep. and focus on yep. every step yep. in front of you totally. and trust that the top is there yep. and you're going to get there or you won't. Like ultimately I will tell you when he's 14, it's going to matter so much less to you. But right now you have steps you have to take, focus on those that's and breathing. Good. Yeah, that's really good. And yeah, I, I mean, I think that's the answer really is to focus on what you are currently doing I think, if anything, the only long-term vision that I'd like to give you is that at five, your child's brain is still very, very malleable and able to absorb a lot of information, whereas the older the individual gets, the harder it becomes to learn new material. So there's this, uh, there's this kind of, uh, you know, period of time where you should be doing more than you could think is possible, possible. And five is still in that period of time. So if there's anything that is, is more of a long-term visual, like what you're doing now and how it affects the future, is just do a lot right now. Yeah. So even if you feel like, like your child, you said he's coming back slowly and he's beginning to request things he needs, that's beautiful and that's awesome, let's push. Let's push as much as we can until eight, uh, because that period of time is still very, very vital. So, uh, you know, if you think about how long our kids are awake from you know, 12 hours, like from seven in the morning until seven in the evening, at least every day, seven days yeah. a week, try to fill that with activities and exercises as much as possible. Um, where And I know a lot of parents are, are very focused on, I want him to be a child, I want him to have fun as well. And that's true, and that's very valid. But the truth is, you know, when you're trying to 
Uh, there were a few years, let's say one to three or one to four, where the learning that was occurring was a little bit slower than peers for whatever reason. And so you're trying to catch the child up. There needs to be some intensity to that, right? It's not, for a couple of years at least, there's going to be some intensive work. So that's all I can say. But yes, that is a very, very good sign, Dark Angel. And that's great. Congratulations. And uh, just keep pushing. And yeah, things will come together. And as a parent who is as concerned as you are, and you're often on our shows, which I appreciate, I think you, um, you're not going to get lost and you're going to be going down the right path. She did follow it up with a specific question, though, that I love, because this is, this is exactly where I think, you know, the good stuff is. She says, how do I increase my son requesting in regular conversation, not only when he needs something? So that's, um, so, for, so okay, so let's talk about that. So usually we request items when we need them. Um, I think what you're referring to is asking questions uh, about things. That's mm -hmm. not really in the language of ABA called requesting. It's just called asking questions. Because right. requesting is a very important thing. Re we re only request things we need or want. And that's called manding. And it's a very important stage in therapy because it is its own reinforcer. When you request something, you generally will get the thing you wanted. Right? And that's uh, only true of man's or requests. Every other type of communication has a reinforcer, but it's a different type of reinforcer. It's not as direct. So the next stage in language for behaviorists is tacting. And tacting is where you comment or point out things that you see on the, in the environment. So this is the typical, let's say, three-year-old in the back of the car uh, you know, as you're driving and they're like, oh, fire truck, you know, whatever, whatever. And they're pointing out things that they see in the environment or on TV, for instance, you know, uh, and they're naming things. And the re reinforcer for that is usually a parent or someone else being astonished at, at how amazing this person is and they're starting to label and all that. Another reinforcer for tacting is that when you tact, you're, doing, you're actually using a part of what's called joint attention. Yeah. So you're bringing, you're sharing with someone else what's in your mind, right? And you're saying, oh, look, I see like Rosie on the TV and mom, look what I see. And then the person joins you and says, yes, isn't that great? Or wow, or something like that. And that is reinforcing for typically developing kids, a lot of times with our kids, they're not able to uh, experience yet at that age, they're not able to experience kind of the, the joy of sharing a bit of information with a parent or uh, the, it's not as rewarding to them if the parent just says, okay, yeah, great, you saw a fire truck, you know, or yeah. something like that. So joining together with the parent and uh, that interaction has not yet become rewarding for the child. So when your child, so the, the, to answer your question, Dr. Angel, the, the next step is to start asking your child what they see and just labeling objects and then making sure that you dramatically reinforce the child for labeling things in their environment, not just things they want, but things they see. 
And so just having that alone will really, really expedite and get your child to the next level of conversation, uh, which is tacting. The next level beyond tacting is then intraverbals, which is having some sort of um, dialogue or expression of information about objects that are not necessarily present or in, in view. And that's a, a kind of a little bit more advanced. In the meantime, in order to get there eventually, you're, you need to work on a lot of different things. Like um, we're not talking about just object labels. Like for instance, things that your child could also tact about are um, people doing things, right? So like running, jumping, kissing, that, so action objects, action labels, and also uh, describing things a little bit more deeply. So for instance, teaching the child attributes that go with either the action or the object. So like, you know, the red truck, the, the blue car, um, or big truck, or you know, small uh, cat, or whatever it is, but attributes, and that's how you start to expand language is by teaching, you know, different aspects of it. And in typical development, when the child, if if the child was more able to focus when they were younger, um, and they weren't dealing with all the issues of of sensory inputs with autism and so on they would have picked those things up gradually on their own. Now you're tutoring, you're catching them up. So now you want to teach those lessons individually. So objects, actions, you know, attributes, um, and you keep doing that, prepositions, pronouns, and you, then you join them as you go forward, and that's how you develop language. Takes yeah. a while. It's making me very emotional, this conversation, because um, we have another question coming up from a parent about intraverbals. Um, and Philip, I want to I let you know that I see your question. I'm going to get to your question in just a second. But I remember, as you were talking about this, I remember the day yeah. that I was very pregnant, and we drove over a hill into a shopping mall, and they had a carnival, and there were balloons everywhere. And, I, and the baby kicked, my son kicked, and I turned to my husband and I said, oh my gosh, in like a year and a half, there's going to be a little voice in the back of the back seat who points and says, balloon, oh, balloon, wow. right? Wow. And, I, and, and we were like, oh, we're, we're having a baby, you know? And, and then the irony was that I didn't have a baby who said that. Yes. And yes, the pain of that, yes. that we had to teach him how to say balloon. Absolutely. And I remember when he was two and the pain of going, my child isn't going to do that. Yeah. Right? But then I remember a year and a half later, as we drove around and looked at the Christmas uh, lights with my mom, that he would go, whites, whites, right? But then I remember the pain of, okay, we have that. So when will we get to the point when I ask him a question and he can answer that? Yes. And that each step along the way, as parents, we feel the pain of where we are. I just want to say to everybody, remember, we got there. Yeah. And that that's a possibility for everyone that, you know, to work towards getting to the place where yes. you want to get. But I also want to remind you to celebrate each step on the, the step to where you're trying to go. Yes. Because I, when he, I, I so wanted him to say balloon and felt the pain of that when he didn't. So when he said whites, 
I tried to celebrate it as much as possible, but I honestly, what I did was I went on to the next thing to worry about. Mm -hmm. And I don't want that for you guys. Yeah. So remember to celebrate the things as you go and yep. to trust that you're doing everything that you can to get there. Yep. Otherwise, the anxiety will eat at you. Yeah, and you miss difficult. it. Absolutely. And there are times that I look at him now and I, I, all I want to be able to do is turn back the clock to when he was three and worry less. Yeah, I hear because you. we still got there. So it makes me very emotional for you guys because I feel the pain yeah. of where you are. Yeah. Um, but I and I want to send you hugs and remind you that, you know, these are things to be learned. Yeah. And that, you know, if you keep working on them, you're going to keep making progress. And we talked about this yesterday, that if progress isn't being made, that you look at that with your team and go, why? And go at it a different way yes. um, so that you get to the progress. So I just was having an emotional oh, moment no, I remembering understand. it all. I understand, Shannon. And it's really, it's, I, I, you know, I appreciate you allowing us to kind of share that with you, like see it from your perspective. But I want to tell you, as a parent of three neurotypical now adults yeah I often have the same feeling I'm sure so parents in general I think that's one of the reasons that we say we love uh, it's more fun to be a, a grandparent yeah because by the time you become a grandparent those yeah. anxieties are yeah. gone right you're just having fun now but as a parent I was a lot the same I would worry about pretty much everything you know like my my kids were growing up bilingual if not trilingual and of course so their language was delayed like with my son um, and I was panicking at age two and like setting up logbooks for him and having like everyone in the family <laughs> sit down and work with him so I compl I get it it's not at the same level but I totally overstressed I think it, as parents we tend to good parents tend to be anxious because if you didn't if you if you weren't anxious, you would be yeah. doing less. Yeah. You know what I mean? The anxiety also makes you the doer. And part of, it's a cycle, right? So part, if you didn't have anxiety, you probably wouldn't have done 40 plus hours of ABA. Yes. No. And so it has its own function. And so, you know, we look back and we miss it so much because we just want to have that moment of, of just enjoying our kids yeah. and they grow up so fast. But you know what? I think I just had another epiphany because I do think that uh, parents of neurotypical kids have a lot of the same anxieties. But you know what the difference is? I think for all of us that at some point somebody who called themselves an expert took away our certainty. Yeah. That they said, your child has autism, so I don't know what's going to oh, happen. Yeah. I don't know if your child's yeah. ever going to be potty trained. I don't know if your child's ever going to speak. Yeah. I don't know if your child's ever going to be able it to work. It doesn't even take that. Like a lot of parents, you don't even need an expert to say that to you. The world the says world that with says the diagnosis. That. Yes. yes. And so then there is this thing about, I'm not sure. Of course. If we're ever going to get there. Of course. And, and you feel like that's been verified by somebody who probably knows what they're talking about. Whereas I think, yes, I, think you're right. I don't you're right. know, I think for neurotypical, right. until an expert says that you're like, I'm having anxiety about this, but I someday he'll be 22 and he'll be speaking and he'll be driving a car, right? Right, right. Whereas when my son was still 14, I like you know I still was like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what, you yeah. know, what it's going to look that's like. That's right. And that's, I think that is the not what I was going to say. Yes, yeah. and not knowing where you're going to end up. Yes. 
Yeah, yes. and, and it's not... The uncertainty of it all. The uncertainty of it all. And it's like, I remember reading uh, those books, uh, what to expect when you're expecting, yes. you know, what to expect one to three, what to expect at five or whatever, those books. And you always panic because you're thinking like, oh my God, my child is like not doing this yet. But I can imagine that for a child, uh, for a parent whose child is maybe two years behind or three years yes. behind, it's way, way, way more anxiety provoking. And absolutely, I mean, as we know, uh, at least half of the kids on the spectrum don't actually get to that point. So there is that. And realistically, yes. we have not yet figured out exactly how to help everyone get there. Yes. And but so, all kids make progress. All kids make all progress. All kids make progress. Even the most severest of the kids make progress. It's just that they make progress in different areas and at different rates. And the ones that, the, the kids who have the hardest time making progress are usually, the reason is because of some medical, physical issue. Yes. Uh, you know, a lot of times they have other illnesses that are so severe that are just preventing them from being able to use their mind the way that they could otherwise. Absolutely. I, I want to thank everybody um, for people writing in. Uh, Philip says a gratitude help journal can be helpful. Andrea said, Shannon, I'm in tears because you've described my feelings to a T. Let's hug it out. Um, uh, okay, I want to go back to yes. Philip's question, and then we're going to get to Sarah's question about interverbals. But Philip wants to know, how can we convince colleges and universities to teach all of their psychology and education students about autism? autistic civil rights, and the various ways we may differ from neurotypicals? It's a great question. It's so a fabulous. It's a very, very good question. I think it's just starting now from, from the parents, and it's still horrible. You're absolutely right. Like, you know, as I said, all three of my kids have finished university, and they all three were exposed, and they're like three years apart each, so it's a period of like six, seven years of difference that I've noticed what they teach yeah. about autism, right? Yeah. So things have changed a little bit, but I will say even my youngest, who's 21, um, all my kids obviously know a lot about autism. They've all kind of worked for us, interned with me, learned their whole lives, met a ton of my kids, were yeah. play dates themselves. They know a lot about autism. Um, and they are, they are often coming to me and kind of mocking what is being taught in, yeah. the, in the universities. And they're like, can you believe this stuff is still being taught? So you're right, there is still a very significant lack of knowledge. Um, and I'll go further than that, and I'll say physicians are still not taught the oh. right stuff at a graduate level. So, you know, there's, <coughs> there's still a lot to be said. That's, I, I don't know what the answer is. I, I'm actually not sure how you get universities to uh, improve what they're teaching, <coughs> but I will say you just got me fired up about something because I'm, I'm on the advisory board for the Department of Psychology at UCLA, and let mm. me tell you, we have, I don't know, thousands of students coming in at UCLA every year, and I'm going to make it a point to give the psychology department the pro and education the appropriate material 
about autism, and I'm going to talk to the, the department about making sure that every psychology and education student coming into UCLA, which is, by the way, the largest uh, psych department in the country of all u um, universities, and also the number one department in, uh, in terms of quality. So I'll make sure that at least at UCLA there's appropriate education. I don't know how you make a change for other universities. I, I'll talk to my friend who's a lobbyist and figure that out. That's Can a really I tell good you, one. though, that there are strides that are being made in very uh, incremental and insidious, but in a good way insidious, you know, like uh, because Sesame Street yeah, has, has yeah. made a huge impact Definitely. by having a character because there's a whole group of young people that are going to be brought up with the ideal that, idea that Julia is there. Definitely. And that is going to shape and change things. I think the entertainment industry, I mean, we've had some missteps with yes. how autism is depicted, but we've also had some steps forward. And, and we've had a lot of uh, things happen with self-advocates. And I, I get nervous when people go, well, these self-advocates, and they're telling the parents that they have to shut up. And I'm always like, like, let's be careful here. Like, we have fought so hard for them to be able to have their voice. Let's not do anything to squelch it. Yeah. We don't have to agree with everything that everybody says in, in any section of the world. So, but I think that they're making an impact. Yeah. And there are more kids on campus yeah. that are sitting in the chairs when they're teaching it that will raise their hand and go, excuse me, yeah. I have a sister or I am on the spectrum. Yeah. And I think that just more and more of that is going to happen. And I and we are. And I'll tell you the other place that we're seeing it that people don't even realize that we're seeing it, video games. Yeah. There are characters in video games that are on the spectrum. You know why? Because they're made by creators who oh, are on, who are the, on the, spectrum. the spectrum. Of course. And if you think that that is not making an impact on the next generation, I think we need to look again. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. It absolutely is. And I think there's definitely a change there's no question as i'm seeing it more and more sesame street was a big one you're absolutely yeah. right but i think i think um or at least the way i took the question there's kind of two sides to it one is just the appropriate knowledge right yes. it's the same issue i have with bcbas right yeah. and the fact that in all the VCBA trainings, board certified behavior analyst trainings, the, the people who supervise ABA programs, there's, there's not a lot of emphasis on how you diagnose autism or what are the core symptoms of autism. You rarely, most programs don't even give you that. So I, I don't know how you supervise a program without knowing what the core symptoms of autism are. You know, that's to me seems like a big vacuum, like a big space that we need to fill, which is education about diagnosis yeah. for individuals who are BCBAs. But the and then also education about various treatments for f physicians, right? Um, why do we only have a one group of physicians, the functional medicine doctors, who are very knowledgeable and know so much about the impact of diet and um, toxins in our environment, whereas pediatricians don't, and and they should, you know, and that's another area that's lacking. And of course, as I, I was interpreting, kind of just all students in general in psychology and so on. But you know, the question was such a great question. It has that other side, which is, whenever any of us and I are in a position to teach. Yes. We should also, we should not just be talking about the, the symptoms or the 
known treatments. We should also be talking about those things that individual, you know, acceptance and what the individuals themselves want. Their civil rights. Their rights. Their yeah. rights and their their requests yes. of society, because that is a whole different thing sometimes. You're absolutely and right. And so that's a that's a very big one. And Shannon, like, if you and I ever get around to actually writing that book that I we've know. talked about, which is kind of like the first ten things. Yes. This should be part of it. It absolutely. Which should. is what is the individual? You know, in ABA, there's this whole thing about when the individual can't decide for themselves, the parents have to. Yeah. But the point is when the individuals get to a certain age where they can make some decisions and when they clearly want certain things, yes. then how do we represent that? How do we shed a light on that and support it, okay. even if it doesn't seem like something we would have picked? I'm fired up now, too, with you. Okay, I want to move on to Sarah's question, and I know you guys are writing in a lot of things. We're going to get to as much as we can. And then we have this thing coming up where we'll have 44 hours. <laughs> uh, we're not going to be there the whole 44 hours, but we'll be there a lot of hours. Sarah wants to know, um, hi, Dr. Doreen and, and Shannon. My twins are now three and a half years old and are working on an interverbal fluency program, which is really amazing. Sarah. Yes. That makes me want to cry for you because yeah, that's so that's impressive. so exciting. They usually have a target, uh, i.e. a number of questions to answer per minute. I've noticed that he gets very anxious if he gets any question wrong, and he will insist to repeat to get his target. I am conscious that this may impact him later in life. Am I overthinking this? No, you're not overthinking this. The ABA folks who are working with your kid might tell you that you're overthinking it, but you're not. A lot of our kids have a slower response time, or as I said earlier, I just this came up in our conversation a little bit ago, which is, teaching yeah. our kids to kind of select the right answer. And only and, be right. And only be right and not be able to make um, uh, mistakes. And I think that it is something worth discussing with your supervisor of your program and saying, I just don't want him to develop anxiety. Yeah. And I really just want to either sometimes like give him more time to answer or if, that, if speed is not the issue, then it becomes very important to mock uh, you know, always being perfect. So, like, let's talk about that for a minute because there's a lot of kids who actually do learn. And actually, part of anxiety, by the way, is becoming more and more obsessive, right? Becoming, developing OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder. So, we become like very just like everything has to be exactly right, everything has to be proper. If I go over the line in any possible way, I'm going to completely fail. And that is what we see a lot happening with our kids. Some of our kids become perfectionists uh, as a result. And so it becomes really important to do fun activities where you both make mistakes and then just mock it and say, oh, isn't that funny? I made a mistake. I can make mistakes. Or doing things that are like not the right thing. So for instance, if you're coloring something, being messy and going over the lines, right? And then just saying, that's okay. I can do that. That's all right. I don't have to, like right now, I don't have to focus on it. Or lots of things like that, which are uh, demonstrating imperfection. And, and to show that in life, there's imperfection. And that's super, super important because it allows your child to realize that even if they make a mistake or even if things are imperfect, they can move forward. Yeah. And otherwise what happens is sometimes our kids freeze 
because they don't want to make a mistake. They don't want things to be imperfect in any way. So I, I remember when my kids were growing up, they were very, very young. I used to get them together every night, and the three of us would have sort of like an hour, or the four of us, a, a, a half an hour or an hour of talking about things that were on their minds <coughs> or whatever it was. And I had noticed that, you know, and this is very common, by the way, that your, your last child is, is like completely free and <laughs> doesn't worry about anything, right. the youngest, right? Because they have the other children to kind of protect them and guide them. Yeah. Whereas your oldest, the firstborn, is yeah. usually a little bit more um, rule-governed and right. anxious right. and always trying to do the right thing because when they were born, they didn't have another sibling to right. kind of protect them. So I would sit my kids down and go very Freudian, right? <laughs> because Freud has this whole thing that talks about the id the ego and the superego. And it's a very interesting dynamic that all of us have. The id is our free, free spirit, like our wild side. The superego is this. It's the parent, the conscience, the right or wrong. And the ego is supposed to be the result of the two coming together. So there's you know, times where we are, know that we have to follow the rules. That's our superego uh, guiding us. And then times when we know it's okay to let free, to let loose, and that's our id. And the ideal is if those two get along with each other and we end up having, you know, a, a balance in our lives of, of both of those things, both cognitively. And so I used to teach that to my kids. Of course, I give them funny names, not id, ego, and superego. But I think that's what you're talking about, and I think it's super important, you should sit down with your supervisor and just say, hey, can we also teach my child that it's okay to make mistakes, that yeah. it's okay to not be perfect? And, and that goes a long way. They asked us to model that, too, as parents, that yes. we started doing things where I'd go, oh, I made a mistake, and then I'd go, oh, well. And laugh about and, it, And right. laugh, and my husband would go, oh, she made a mistake. It's okay. Yeah. Now we're going to do something different. Right. And, and then they right. taught my son, because he was always afraid to say the wrong thing, and sometimes that would mean he wouldn't say anything. Exactly. So they taught him how to say, when he would say something and somebody would go, what? Like his peers, he would go, oh, I made a word mistake. Yes. And then... And that was it. And that was it. And it was like, oh, okay. Okay, go on, now you have another chance at it. Perfect. And then we would watch the Olympics and go, oh, look, somebody made a mistake. They're going to do it again. Yes. So that, you know, that it become a thing. And sometimes they don't get to do it again. Yes. And they didn't get the medal. Oh, that's a bummer. Exactly. But look, they're fabulous still. So lots of examples for that. We're really out of time, but can I ask one, because one more thing? Of course. Because our journey, Cameron's New Life wrote in and talked about, because the, their son is seven now mm -hmm. and very hyperlexic and has some anxiety around that. And, I, and I'm, I'm piecing it together, but that recently it sounds like they went into a store and the sensory of letters and numbers and words, he could barely move in the store. She says he won't wear his sunglasses but she's talking about getting a stroller with a hood. And for a seven-year-old, I'm thinking maybe, because this is also a kiddo that what I know about him from the years that we've been talking is that he requires a lot of physical input and likes to jump on the trampoline and that he's a little bit more centered after that. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking putting him in a stroller with a hood maybe not the thing. Yeah. it's. I mean, you know your son better than we do. I I wouldn't want to stigmatize him as well, uh, being in a stroller Seven. at that age. Yeah. 
But if that is the only way that you think he would be able to tolerate things, then that's the only way. Like you modify the environment as much as you have to, preferably as little as you have to. Have you tried a hat with a visor? Have you tried um, those, those, do you remember those giant visors that came out early COVID, I think, where like they cover yeah. the whole face? I don't know if he would like something like that. And by the way, I know that he might not keep his sunglasses on initially, but that's a shaping procedure. So you, I, I promise you, I've had kids who have been severely affected by autism, and I've taught them how to keep their glasses and headphones on when they go out. So the way to do it is to start with a very, very minuscule period of time and a huge reinforcer. So you have something that the child desperately wants, like a, a, a edible food, right? Cookies, something. And you ha have the child put the sunglasses on for 10 seconds or whatever they can handle. And you say, yay, good job. And you give them the reinforcer. And then you gradually increase that period of time. And then over time, much time, a month, you reduce the reinforcer. But it is possible to shape and also... Like once the child starts to put the thing on and feel more comfortable with stimuli, they actually prefer it themselves. Like I had a child who was in New York City, and honestly, he I, I, in the beginning, he would just throw anything we tried yeah. to put on his face. But gradually, he got to the point where he wouldn't... He, wanted his sunglasses when he went outside. Not only that, did he wanted his headphones because the yeah. noise was so high for him. So, you know, try those things out first. It's, it works. It takes a longer time, but it works. And I know because, Mom, you identify yourself as somebody who has sensory sensitivities to tags and things like that. So I know you're probably extra aware of him being uncomfortable. But I do want to point out that we had parent after parent during COVID who would write in and say, there is no way I'm ever going to get my child to wear a mask. And that each and every one of those parents who followed the protocol that you would lay out for them wrote back and said, I cannot believe that my child is now more comfortable wearing the mask. And then we've had to go through the procedure of getting them to not wear the mask yes, anymore in public. Yes, that's true. That's right? true. So yes. I just, I just want to tell you that I think that it's infinitely doable, but you, you may be going to have to move slow. I just want to thank you. And I want to thank oh, everybody. Thank and I'm you. sorry that we didn't get to all your questions and comments. I, I do want to remind everybody that, because I know uh, at least one person wrote in a question about a feeding issue. We actually have a feeding expert who's going to be on the show tomorrow. So I'm going to transfer that question to tomorrow's show. So that's going to be really fun. And then on Thursday, we have Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. We've got some amazing news stories to cover. But also, we've got a total of three guests that are going to be with us, an amazing mom who's got a radio show nice. about her journey. And then we've got a mom and a son. The son is one of the stars of the new uh, Woody Harrelson movie that's coming out in two weeks. Wonderful. Where he coaches a basketball team that's all special needs oh, wow. individuals. And this young man is one of the members of the team. So he's going to be with us on Thursday with his mom talking about that journey. I cannot wait to see this movie because I'm a ginormous Woody Harrelson Me fan. Me too. That's awesome. So, and, and the previews look hilarious. Oh, good. So we're excited. Um that we're going to be talking with everybody about that on Thursday. And then, of course, on Friday, we have stories from the spectrum. So want to remind all of you to tune in, especially tomorrow. If you've got feeding issues and questions, you definitely want to, go to, want to tune in for that. 
So uh, until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.